what I what I read in that book, what I learned in that book, was a huge awakening for me. Huge awakening. That book is over 20 years old today, but still as relevant now as it was then. Looking back on it now, I think it kind of felt like I'd got a book from the future. From a teenager's computer on an MFI desk in a loft in Glasgow to co-founder and managing director of Zero UK. Hi, I'm Sean McGinty, and this is Digital Awakenings, stories about people and business. I've learned while making this podcast that digital awakenings can be inspired in many ways. Birthday gifts, books and colleagues are all featured. This week's story has those threads, but for me, the outstanding thing about it is it demonstrates the incredible power of authentic purpose in a career and in a business. I ask all my guests to upload three photographs that chart their digital awakenings, but the first time I see them is when we're talking. Gary Turner has taken Zero UK from a three-person startup to a company that helps 700,000 small and medium businesses to manage their finances better in the UK alone and millions more around the globe. Gary's first Digital Awakenings picture is of a book. It's called The Clue Train Manifesto. It started out as a website in 1999, then into print as this new millennium dawned. It completely, it was, a, it was and I can't overstate the impact reading this book had on me. And so I'm 31, 32, been in software for about a decade, kind of understood what it meant to build and run a software business. And by that time, we'd been used to the internet for about five years. But to that point, it was really about like buying books off Amazon or sending photos to your auntie in Australia on Hotmail and internet cafes. I remember the first time being overseas and this idea, oh, I've got an internet cafe around the corner yeah. from the hotel. I can go, I can check my email. Amazing. How revolutionary was that? Yeah. So a little aside on internet cafes for the younger ones amongst us. In a world before mobile data and when the internet at home was probably super slow dial-up for most of us, there were internet cafes. On a business trip after meetings, you found an internet cafe where you could log into your email, do some work and drink terrible coffee while eating a dry piece of cake. The mobile phone had freed us from the servitude of the fixed landline, but its then data abilities were limited or non-existence. So coming across an internet cafe as you walked around a city was a real joy, a shimmering oasis in a world bereft of mobile data. We may not have had mobile screens to take with us on trips, but we still had the printed word. Uh, and it was the book I took on the kind of long-haul air journey, flying um, on our honeymoon and sitting by the pool. And, and I read this book, cover to cover during during that time and and by the time I landed back in the UK I was it was like an epiphany it was like oh my god you have to read this book this is unbelievably prescient and um uh, on the money as to what this is really all about and and so that 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 what I what I read in that book what I learned in that book was a huge awakening for me huge awakening um, and it enabled me to take what I had learned in the kind of conventional world of software and business and, and, and up to that point. And it inspired me and gave me a real sense of direction for where the future 
of business was going with the internet in a, in a way that nobody was talking about at the time and the way that no other books were really articulating. You get into Waterstones in 2000 and it's mostly about SQL Server and, and e-commerce. So that really supercharged my, my ambition, I think. And, and, and it feel, looking back on it now, I think it kind of felt like I'd got a book from the future with the kind of cheat codes to how the world was going to map out. And I then began to bring that um, and those insights and those thoughts to my job at Pegasus. And by which time uh, I, I'm now running uh, Pegasus, this is like a 2002, 2003, a managing director uh, of, a, of quite a traditional software company and beginning to think about well, how do we how do we adapt to this emerging world that's coming down the line that I'd, I'd first kind of like, uh, had a sense of of the Clue Chain Manifesto and then subsequently through meeting lots of really smart people. And so we began to experiment mm. with a few things at Pegasus and we launched a kind of instant messenger app back in 2003 um, that in a business context, you could have a little pop-up showing you reports and just beginning to play around with the concept of connected services and connected apps rather than just a traditional accounting product. As you hear Gary's story, you may get the same sense that I do, that everything he did prior to zero was the perfect preparation for it, but also that he was always thinking about pushing for the next step on this digital pathway. We'll come back to that journey through the big corporate software firms later, but I must say that I do love the phrase, a book from the future. And in 1999, the Clue Train Manifesto was just that. In its original website form, it was basically a list of theses. 95 of them. The first of the 95 theses kind of say it all. It's like the first one is markets are conversations. Markets consist of human beings, not demographic sectors. Conversations among human beings sound human. They're conducted in a human voice. And whether delivering information, opinions, perspective, dissenting arguments, or humorous asides, the human voice is typically open, natural, and uncontrived. And just those first four points really describes the world we're now in, in many ways. You know, I mean, like authenticity and, and, and people don't buy bullshit anymore. And people can see through kind of corporate communications of the, of the, two th of the, the 90s era. And that, that, was in the, that was in the late 90s. And there's a lot more to it than just that. But there was something about authenticity and integrity that, that spoke to me there. And, and the power that the internet could have for connecting people together to, to almost like as a kind of underground movement kind of usurp the old world of business and it was very it was quite radical in that sense and that that really caught my imagination authenticity and integrity two words in the book that fit well with gary's childhood he grew up in glasgow in a classic working class family nobody had been to university and the work they did was generally with their hands his dad was a talented fixer who, in another time, would have been a great engineer, but growing up in the early 20th century, became a car mechanic because he could fix things with his hands and seemed to have an innate understanding of engines and gearboxes of almost any kind. After some time building a career in the bigger car dealerships around the city, Gary's dad set out on his own. So in 1979, he set up his own business, and it was a classic, like three people on the payroll fixing cars, fixing buses and trucks and anything that they needed fixed. 
And so being a classic small business, and my mum went to college and learned bookkeeping so she could do the books for the company. And so you can imagine like the dinner table conversations or the conversations mm. in, in the family home were largely dominated by the business. Big customers not paying their bills on time and the cash flow pinch that that was creating for them, the stress that that then brought to the dinner table, literally on a, on a kind of weekly basis. And I wouldn't have been conscious of it at the time, but I think that definitely imprinted on me. The, the, and it made, for me, um, what it means to run a small business much more relatable because I, I kind of have been there at the age of like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way through my teen years, knowing what it's like in a small business environment. And ultimately, um, like, like it was been like mid, mid 80s, late 80s, uh, the business had gone through one recession and had survived, and then was another recession in the mid to late 80s, and it just didn't make it. And that was like it had a catastrophic impact. You know, so by the time I'm 17, my, the, the house had been remortgaged to finance the business. That wasn't enough, and literally we're, we're homeless. My parents' marriage broke up, and what this this kind of beautiful little kind of family, striving working class family environment was completely destroyed by the failure of the business. The implosion of that small business to the UK's economy was just another data point in a decade plagued by recession and bankruptcy. But it tore apart Gary's family and had a long-lasting impact on how he thought about small and medium businesses. It also gave him a purpose and an intense passion that on occasions can come out of nowhere and surprise him. I, I, I remember catching myself not that long ago talking about why we needed to build this feature or why we needed to solve this problem for businesses and getting really worked up about it, getting really like frothing at the mouth, passionate about why we had to fix this problem in a way that most people in my position might not. It was just software. We're just trying to solve a problem. And I think I think it's because it's rooted and I'm trying to kind of stick up for the little guy. I'm trying to stop what happened to our family happen to other families. I mean, small businesses are families. I mean, small businesses are just like normal people that happen to run their own business. And when and the, and the, and the fortunes of a small business aren't just a statistic. They are, it's like, do you get a holiday this year as a family? Do you have to remortgage your house? Do you have to live with the daily stress of that? And I get really passionate about that. And so I, I, I consider myself to be fortunate that, and I wasn't aware of this in the early part of my career. It's only in the last kind of 10 years I've seen that connection. My real kind of like that driving purpose that I have, that sense of purpose I have must must have originated in that, that period growing up in the family business. I really relate to that, that during the course of a normal day in a normal meeting, becoming frothy mouthed with passion about a subject many of your peers think of as just a little part of our daily business endeavour, a subject they couldn't get excited about if their lives depended on it. Yet for Gary, solving the problems faced by small businesses and protecting future families being torn apart is his authentic purpose. It was his family's lived experience and he spent the last 12 years at zero passionately solving problems and growing an amazing business too. In a Harvard Business Review article called The Business Case for Purpose, they used survey data from senior managers across a range of different sized businesses. The survey is interesting in many ways, but the main takeaway is that the companies who clearly articulate their purpose enjoy higher growth rates and higher levels of success in transformation and innovation initiatives. 
kind of like the company he co-founded does. My guest is the co-founder and managing director of Zero UK, a cloud-based accounting software platform. To our second photo, a huge conference hall filled with people. That photo is actually um, ZeroCon, which is our annual conference, and obviously we haven't done it uh, for a while. That would be November 2019, just um, before the pandemic uh, hit. Um, and, and, and that's me um, on stage at Excel down in Docklands in the big conference centre. And, and there's something I, I love about that photograph in the sense that it's ironic that um, we've got three and a half, four thousand people there finding out about VAT returns and open banking APIs. And it sh there's something that, that shouldn't happen. There's, there's something tragic about that. that, that it looks like a gig. Like it's like Coldplay should be about to burst through the open banking screen. Absolutely, it looks like a rock concert, but it's actually about a VAT return, which is like the seriously, seriously, is that what it's about? But there's something, and, and we mentioned it earlier. There's something fundamentally dull about the idea of accounting and bookkeeping, and there's the stereotype that it's like a chore and it's tedious and it's not very exciting. But as as I learned uh, in my family experience, like accounting and finances make or break a business. And so nothing dull about the survival of a business. A rock star stage for the boss of a hugely successful cloud accounting software company. So let's go back to earlier on in Gary Turner's business career. The loss of the family business and its financial after effects caused Gary to drop out of his computer science course and get a job. It was at a high street retailer of PCs, then to an IT services business at the age of 20, and by 25 he was at Pegasus, which was responsible for one of the first iterations of accounting software on MS-DOS. This was PCs without Windows, where you had to type in every instruction beside a C prompt. He joined in 1995 as an account director and left 12 years later as the managing director. But during this time at Pegasus, like others in this series, he started writing, writing on the internet. And then fast forwarding from there, um, whilst I'm running Pegasus during the day, I'm beginning to kind of make those tiny little course corrections to, to, the, to the future of business for that business. Um, I became a blogger. I, I became so full of um, those, those ideas and questions and concepts um, inspired by by reading this book that I started my own blog um, nearly 20 years ago now, so this would be 2001, when nobody really knew what a blog was. And I kind of got yeah. in with the right, wrong crowd and people that were also thinking the same, asking the same questions that I was asking. And so I then began to um, write about this stuff online and share my thoughts and articulate my ideas and, and express myself in a public way, which was kind of challenging have you never done that before and mm. getting into debates with other people about how's it going to work and what what is the future of blogging what's the future of communications in the internet era and from 2001 through to 2003 or 4 I think I may have posted some like a couple of thousand blog posts about wow the, 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 the insights ideas concepts questions about how this new world was going to shape up and I was then in parallel connecting with other really smart people globally who all had kind of um, aligned around some of the principles and fundamentals that, that were in this, this book. 
and we were kind of it was a bit of a it sounds like a bit of a cult in retrospect but i think we kind of were we were this public blogging but relatively close group of people thinking and architecting and building and discussing this like web standards and discussing rss and the emergence of new standards for kind of uh, shuffling data around and 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 i think what that in, in, in summary what that experience gave me was a real sense that something big was coming there was a the, the world of software and the world of business was going to be forever changed. Two years then at Microsoft during a period where they were consolidating, not pushing forward. And although this time was short, he had a big job in a company that had been on his employer bucket list since the early 90s. Then came a DM out of the blue. And then one day I got a LinkedIn message from uh, a New Zealander, a guy called Hamish Edwards from Zero, And Hamish was one of the original Kiwi founders of Zero. In, in New Zealand. And I'd, I think I'd heard of Zero whilst I was at Microsoft and I think they pick, picked up a bit of press because they did an IPO in the Wellington uh, Stock Exchange in New Zealand in 2007 and raised a bunch of money to go and build this product. And I thought, well, good luck to them. And But it's New Zealand and that's really, really far away and it's never going to be relevant here. I never thought anything else of Zero, But then when I got a LinkedIn message from Hamish saying, we want to get going in the UK. We want somebody to get on board and basically run and build our business up here. I didn't read the rest of the email. It was one of those moments yeah. that what I'd been writing about, what I'd been waiting for, what I hadn't found at Microsoft had finally appeared. And this kind of confluence of right time, right place, mobile, web services. The iPhone was about a year old by that point. We are a couple of years old. And it was like, that's, it's here. That This opportunity, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that, that probably was more likely not to arrive than arrive mm. actually landed. And and I remember reading that, that message, and I hadn't even spoken to Hamish or Rod Drury, who was the principal founder and CEO of Zero. And I said to my wife, I said, I, I found what I'm, I've been waiting for. And then finally, when I convinced Rod that I was the guy that he should bring on board to help build our, our business here. Uh, it felt like I'd, I'd won first prize in a job competition. You know what I mean? It felt like yeah. this is an amazing opportunity. Just don't screw it up. To the third and final photograph, and it takes us back to, well, a day that brought the world the Apple Mac. That's the one with the iconic Ridley Scott-directed Orwellian TV commercial. It also delivered a young Gary Turner a life-changing gift into the loft room at his childhood home. I've got a great picture here. I can't quite make out the computer, but is it a BBC Micro it is. in that picture? It is. Right, and it's. Um, I can see a cassette tape and what looks like a classic Coke can. So it dates it somewhat. Uh, that's you. When was that then? You sat in front of a Micro, BBC Micro. April 1984. Amazing, you know that. And and uh, what you, you can just about there's there's again another classic artifact of the time, which uh, is a Rubik's calendar. Ah, yes, um, I didn't see it's one. It's a Rubik's that. cube that had basically dates and days and, and numbers in it, and, and it was a really tedious way to tell you what the day was because every day you'd have to change it around. And you can just about in the original copy of that photo, you can just about make out that it's April 1984 from the the curious Rubik's calendar. Uh, and that's me, um, 84. I would have been 15 years old 
um, and probably about three months, four months into my uh, the, the, the kind of the journey of, of of having my own computer at home, and um, and that really is is the kind of uh, probably the one one end of the bookcase. That's one book one bookend, if you like, mm. that has really propelled me through my career and, and really fortunate and an and awakening there, I guess, kind of teaching myself about building software, writing software, understanding basic as the programming language on the BBC. Um, and, and I consider myself incredibly fortunate to be a part of that generation that got introduced to the, the kind of magic of software and the magic of computing at that time. And I was fortunate enough to be in a school in Glasgow where we had enough computers in the class to go around everybody so and they were all BBC computers and so a huge period of learning and growth for me as, as a teenager learning and becoming falling in love with technology. That love of the digital world and all its possibilities is still with Gary today. He's soon to leave Zero UK, take some time out and consider what he wants to do with the next part of his career. His passion for the purpose of and technology within Zero is still as strong as ever as he looks back at his time with the company he helped build to what it is today. We're of a different generation of software company um, where, where previously you would go to PC World or you would speak to a specialist company and they would come and install software on a server or on your PC. We belong to that cloud generation. So we came about when it was feasible and viable to build sophisticated software experiences in a web browser, which would have been about the midpoint of the 2000s. And, and what that did was, is it enabled us to both reimagine with a blank sheet of paper, how to build software to help a small business manage their finances and their accounting and cash flow, but to deliver that in a, in a very different way, which meant that you could, as long as you had internet access and a web browser, you could access your accounts. It was no longer locked away on that PC in the corner of the office. Mm. And combined with that, like different delivery model, which is incredibly more efficient, then the economics are different as well. So you pay as you go, you pay monthly, as opposed to writing a check for a few thousand pounds and hoping you've chosen the right product. Cloud software or SaaS, as it's sometimes called, software as a service, you pay monthly. And, and, and zero, most of our customers pay us about a pound a day to, to access zero, to manage their finances. And so it's low cost, low risk, highly functional. Um, and, and after 15 years um, globally now, we have over two and a half million businesses on the platform and in the UK, over 700,000 SMBs now use zero to manage their accounts and finance. So it's been a really interesting journey over that time. Finally, to the thing he loves talking about the most, omnipresent across the world and always in Gary's thoughts, the small and medium business. There are nearly 6 million businesses in the UK and the vast, vast majority of them are SMB, small or medium-sized businesses. And the vast majority of them are we define as small. And what that categorization basically means is if you employ fewer than 250 people, then you're an SMB. And if you employ more than that, then you're a large business. Now, out of the 6 million, to give you a sense of the scale of how many SMBs there are, the number that employ more than 250 people is only 8,000, okay? So our economy is an SMB economy. And we all know 
somebody we've all probably worked in, worked for, engaged with an SMB. They're impossible to avoid, they're everywhere. Uh, we may have run our own SMB businesses, friends and family and partners. Everybody has a very sense, strong sense of connection with SMBs. And one of the big problems that SMBs have always had is that they don't have lots of resources, they don't have lots of people, they don't have lots of staff to run things. And so very large number of them are operating historically on a hand-to-mouth basis. It's like getting the money in the door and paying the bills and surviving for another month. And then specifically, um, SMBs in the last 30 years have adopted some degree of, of software or digital to, to help run their business, help manage their customers and customer service and their finances. But even that hasn't been amazing. You know, like running some Windows software on your PC in the corner of the accounts department to keep on top of your finances has probably been the best that most people have experienced in the last 30 years. The path that Gary Turner's career has taken over that time is rooted in a kind of unabashed Glasgow radicalism alongside an unwavering focus on his truly authentic purpose. The word purpose is thrown around a great deal now by a lot of companies. Someone in marketing finds a nice sounding purpose, fluffs it up for online use, but so often it's flimsy and transparent. Real purpose so often comes from our earliest experiences of life. It comes from our family and their values. It was an absolute joy hearing Gary speak so passionately about his working class childhood in Glasgow and how he took those events and used them to shape a platform that has impacted so much on family businesses around the world. Thanks to you for listening. Also, thanks to Gary Turner, the soon-to-be ex-managing director of Zero UK, for telling us his digital awakenings. When I'm not making this podcast, I enable small and medium-sized businesses to seize the digital opportunities around them. Go to bentleymcginty.co.uk to find out more. The music throughout this podcast is made by the remarkable band from Lancashire in the UK, Northling. Just Google Northling Band. Follow Digital Awakenings wherever you get your podcasts and go to digitalawakenings.co.uk or email me, sean at digitalawakenings.co.uk. This podcast comes out on the first and third Sunday of every month, so I'll see you in two weeks. Hold up. 